25 years since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. It's a long time. What you doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married Sunday. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lug It Out Podcast. This is your host, Elias Rush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRushMedia.com. Photo, video, digital media production. Well, a meowdy there, cowboys and cowgirls and everyone, all my non-binary cowboys and cowgirls in between. How is everyone doing? I hope everyone is doing excellent on this uh, Oscar Sundays. Um, Tonight, March 27th, 2022, the Oscars are coming out, and um, I just like, just like I was in high school, it procrastinated to the last minute to get some of these uh, some of these reviews out. I've seen a large chunk of these movies that have been nominated, such as Power of the Dog, uh, Nightmare Alley, Licorice Pizza. Just watched that last night. Um, so I'm gonna try to get some uh, condensed, quick reviews of my initial impressions we'll try to go into as much as we can on the plots and whatnot so if i'm talking a little fast if i'm going by some of the details that are some of the most important just know that i'm trying to uh go for more uh, quantity over quality on these podcasts because we have a lot of podcasts to pump out this afternoon so uh i saw the power of the dog when it first was released on netflix Uh, i believe that was in mid-november um for the united states and uh it was a quite an interesting movie i I don't want to give away too much about it but let me kind of give you the rundown for everybody that's curious about what the power of the dog is why everyone's talking about it some of the controversy there's uh some jane campion stuff that had happened some sam elliott stuff that is things that were said and uh we'll talk about some of those things that are happening in between as well as the story and all the, the the good juiciness of this um of this film So The Power of the Dog is 2021 Western psychological drama film written and directed by Jane Campion. It is based on the Thomas Savage's uh, 1967 novel of the same name. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith-McPhee. Just an FYI for everyone that doesn't know, Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons are married in real life. And so that kind of adds an interesting dynamic to the behind-the-scenes notions of what you know about uh, about the movie. So it's set in Montana, shot mostly in rural Otago, New Zealand. The film is an international co-production between New Zealand, Greece, the United Kingdom, and the United States, and Austria. Australia, Australia. Um, the power of the dog covers themes uh, such as love, grief, resentment, jealousy, masculinity, and sexuality. The uh, film is produced by Campion alongside Emil uh, Sherman, Ian Canning, Roger Freiper, and Tanya Segahacharin. Sorry if I pronounced that last name wrong. I'm pretty sure that wasn't right. But um, cinematography, Ari Wegner. Um, really love the cinematography on this movie, uh, as well as the camera work she they have done. As they're an Australian cinematographer. Her work includes uh, Lady Macbeth 2016, True History of the Kelly Gang 2019, and Zola 2020. And... Uh, in 2021, she's served as the cinematographer of The Power of the Dog, which she's received widespread critical acclaim, including an Academy Award nomination for Best Cinematography, becoming the only becoming only the second woman to do so in the award's 94-year history. My lord, that's kind of... They need to up that. So, um... So, you know who's in it. You know who made it. You know who's, uh... Responsible for all the good stuff. Uh, we got Johnny Greenwood on the music. Um, he's a lead guitarist and keyboardist of alternative rock band Radiohead. And has also written a number of uh, other film scores as well. Um, Johnny's responsible for... I'm talking like I know him. Um, 
uh, he's he is in Radiohead as well as let me see what other some documentaries body for body song um theory to the victims of hiroshima 1960 uh oh wait no he didn't do that that was that was what he was inspired by um greenwood composed the score for 2007 film there will be blood by uh paul thomas anderson um he was also going to be talked about a lot on the oscars um and let me see if there's anything else i know of Greenwood scored We Need to Talk About Kevin, directed by Lynn Ramsey. He's also worked again with Anderson, composing the score for The Master. That was another pretty wide, critically acclaimed um, piece of media as well. So he's done tons of stuff with, uh, I think, uh, PTA as well, um, which is kind of interesting to see. He's under, he's there being nominated on um, The Power of the Dog instead of a PTA movie. Um Paul Thomas Anderson, by the way. So anything else we need to know? Running time of 126 minutes. Um, budget of around 35 to $40 million, And uh, box office, is, I guess, is kind of unknown because it's more or less a streaming movie on Netflix. Um, so The Power of the Dog had its world premiere at the 78th Venice International Film Festival on September 2nd, 2000, 2021, um, where Campion won the Silver Lion for best direction the film had a limited theatrical release in november 2021 and was uh, released to stream worldwide on netflix on december 1st the power of the dog received universal acclaim from critics who praised campion's direction and screenplay cinematography score and performances of the four leads it was highly regarded as one of the best films of 2021 by multiple top 10 lists i want to say that the power of the dog was uh around the ninth or 10th favorite movie for me on the list of uh, top movies of 2021. Um, let me see if I have that right here. Yeah. Power of the dog was number, um, number eight for me on top movies of 2021. So you know who made it, you know, who's in it, you know, it's got some good accolades um, let me see anything else. Uh, it's received many accolades, including including uh, leading 12 nominations at the 94th Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Director uh, for Campion, Best Actor for uh, Cumberbatch, Best Supporting Actor for both Plemons and Smith McPhee, um, and Best Supporting Actress for Dunst. So all of the performances are being uh, applauded and uh, praised multiple ways so uh what is going on in this movie before i go into the plot um i do gotta say the majority of the movie is a slow burn character study of these these individuals mostly kind of cowboys who are kind of irreverent kind of kind of weird kind of assholes kind of the big bad guys that roll into the town and kind of feel like they're going to run the shit. But it's an unconventional movie with saying that. There's other aspects of the film that we are just following the life of generally uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character uh, as well as the Jesse Plemons character who's involved with Kirsten Dunst and her son, played by Cody Smith McPhee. Um, It's much more of a slow burn the trailer kind of makes it look look like it's going to be a thriller of some sort and i'm not exactly sure i would consider that at all um but there are aspects of this movie that recontextualize everything that happens almost uh just given the last few scenes recontextualize what you've been watching for the past uh, you know hour and a half two hours so um Let's get into the plot. The thing I got to say right off the top before anybody is thinking about watching it, if you have already, right by this point, you would have, or the uh, Oscars would have happened and you probably would have known if it's going to win, if it had won anything. Um, I would recommend it very much just from the technical angles of, you know, great acting, looks amazing, great directing, 
screenplay I, I really enjoy. Um, but don't go in it expecting, you know, a hard-hitting thriller like the marketing kind of feels like it's trying to sell it as. It's much more of a, a meditational, uh, you know, Academy Award-winning type movie. You know, you know how like award-winning movies like to kind of linger on shots and uh, linger on the faces of the actors, you know, a little bit extra long, kind of make it almost sometimes uncomfortable. It's like, all right, we could have cut that by 30 seconds. Um, Licorice Pizza does this as well. Just lingering shots, long takes, long shots of, you know, maybe stuff that's not even happening. It's more just like kind of soaking up the feel of the movie or the aesthetic. Um, this movie is so beautiful in the way, in, in where it's, where it's shot, just the, uh, the mountainous regions of New Zealand um, are, are breathtaking. And the fact that they were able to use New Zealand to make it look like the Montana, I, I couldn't tell it at all, which kind of is interesting for us as well. So I guess we could technically shoot in Montana and make it look like New Zealand. I didn't realize that they were so similar in aesthetic um, and feel. And so the big wide scapes of this uh, wide shots of this movie are just beautiful you know watch it on the most crystal clear biggest screen you can you know watching it on your phone is not going to do nearly as much of uh, an impact as watching it on like a, a bigger screen you really want to soak up every inch of what's going on on screen now on top of that um the the movie is slow. I keep saying that as in like you keep waiting for kind of something to happen and you're like, what is going on? Where is this going? And it's really it's really holding its cards close to its chest. And you're trying to almost figure out a low key mystery wrapped up in this uh, old school Western. And, you know, without going into any spoilers yet, I I think it is effective in the movie it's not like a movie i'm like itching to revisit every time but there was this aspect of uh, i was like wait what just happened what uh, you know i can't tell you how many people probably are going to rewind the movie 20 minutes at after they've watched the end and be like did i miss something it is it it happens so fast of the the you know the tonal shift at the end of this movie that it, like I said, it recontextualizes everything. And uh, the performances across the board, I think, are amazing. Uh, don't want to point out anyone too specific because I don't think anyone, um, anyone overshadows anyone, but I will say uh, Cumberbatch gets the majority of the um, accolades here just because of the amount of screen time that's on him. But I'm going to praise some other... Uh, other actors on here as well. So let's hop into the plot of The Power of the Dog. Before I get into the spoilers, I will say it's about an 8 out of 10 for me. Um, it's it's shot extremely well, acted amazingly. There's My complaints, if any, were that the, the plot of the movie doesn't really kick in until like the very end of the third act. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just feels much more of a character study up until there. So, um, you know, keep your eyes peeled. There's, even though it's slow, almost every frame is giving uh, a hint of what's to come and where where you should be expecting the movie to be coming back. So let's hop into the plot. Here are spoilers, and I expect you to be ready for the spoilers for The Power of the Dog, whether you've seen the movie or not. Again, thank you for listening watching Luck It Out Podcast. The full review is going to be available on the Patreon early if you want to support the podcast. In other ways, you can always donate directly in the links below. There's um, PayPal. you got uh, Patreon. There's, you can get early reviews, exclusive reviews on Patreon. All the links are provided below. So let's get into the plot for The Power of the Dog. In 1925, Montana, Phil and George Burbank are wealthy ranch-owning brothers, whereas Phil loves to stay grubby in his cowboy chaps. George dresses and behaves in a more white-collar manner. And there is a complete, like, 
there's a division between these brothers of how they kind of handle themselves at this time. You know, like it's it's pretty much described right there that you know Phil and George are one's the cowboy and one's like the businessman, and basically the cowboy played by Benedict Cumberbatch is but Phil. He Phil is an asshole to his brother George like the entire movie. You know, it's the he's just constantly strong-arming his brother, calling him fatso and shit like that. It's like, God dang, you ain't got to do Jesse Plemons like that. But, um, you know, Jesse Plemons is starting to become one of my more favorite actors to watch. And so having him in here, he feels like a very down-to-earth character, and he never seems to play like like he he's a know-it-all or anything like that. So I think it's a perfect role for these two gentlemen. I will say um, the the Western accent kind of comes and goes a little bit from uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, but I overall really like what he's working with. Um, so George dresses and behaves a little bit more white, behaves in a more white-collar manner. What's leading a cattle drive, they see in the distance a dead steer. Phil orders his men to keep away as he reckons the animal may have died from anthrax. The brothers and their cowboy team stop at at an inn owned by an attractive widow, Rose Gordon. Rose, a former cinema pianist, has a pinola in the saloon slash diner, which guests may play. While Phil and his cowboys are dining, Phil rudely demands that other guests refrain from using the pinola. Pinola. I guess that's another word for name. It's a uh, self-playing piano. Um, my grandmother actually used to have one of those types of pianos, um, and you could like play different types of music with like floppy disks. It was it was the most coolest thing I remember. Um, so the kind-hearted George is quickly taken with Rose and George and Rose get married and it's op- almost happens over what feels like happens in a few days they uh you know we, we instantly see Cody Smith McPhee he he's more of a, a well-read type young man he's he's like the opposite of wanting to be a cowboy and he's instantly antagonized by Phil and you know Phil is burning his his uh, origami esque flowers that Cody Smith McPhee is um, has made, and he's just overall an ass and really rude to um, to his character. It's hard to watch, and so Cody Smith McPhee is the son of Kirsten Dunst's character uh, Rose. So. Um, you know, naturally, George is trying to, you know, kind of keep him under his wing a little bit more, but he's not there to really protect him all that much. So, you know, Phil is just bombarding this kid this entire time. And then there's this whole mystery uh, filled with this missing cowboy that we start to uncover later in the story. And so George and Rose get married. It feels like they go on like one cliff and they're like, they're standing on a cliff and on a mountain or something like that. And he's like, I guess we're going to get married or something like that. You know, you know, Bartle D my dear. And then, so they're just instantly hooked up, um, instantly hitched. And so she moves into the Burbank ranch house. The volatile Phil dislikes Rose, believing she only wants George's money. Um, which I personally never believed in that manner. He also dislikes her teenage son, Peter, whom he taunts as weak and effeminate. Um, there are these tones of toxic masculinity and slight self-hate in a way. It's it's filled throughout the character of Phil, and um, you know, toxic masculinity always is excessive in those types of, you know, quote-unquote gangs of cowboys and stuff like that. So for somebody to be kind of the weakling in it is is not unheard of. And then for that weakling to be kind of, uh, you know, picked on is uh, is kind of a trope in Westerns as well. 
Um, I'm watching Yellowstone on uh, was it Paramount, and that's almost exactly what's happening in the first few seasons to uh, a character named Jimmy. And so, um, in the same way, Peter is very much you know the quote unquote the scrawny one of the bunch and and the character that Cody Smith McPhee is playing oh my goodness the kid looks like he's he he hardly sees light because he's you know he's got this really uh really pasty white skin he's skinny looks like he's like 6'3 and about 75 pounds <laughs> I'm, I'm joking to the actor and everything but the, the way that he had him they have him playing he's just uh he, he's very like like it says, effeminate. When uh, after her marriage, Rose addresses Phil as brother. Phil responds that he is not her brother, and this and he derides her. George buys Rose a baby grand piano as a special treat. Rose is somewhat overwhelmed and is able to only play a few phrases of the Radiski March. Phil overhears and mocks her by playing the same piece expertly on his banjo. And the majority of the movie, you're like, where the fuck is this going? You're like, why does Phil hate everybody? If Phil is just an asshole this entire movie. And you're just trying to feel, figure out what happened to the cowboy that used to be riding with them, what happened to his buddy, and... What does that have to do with Rose and her son? There's just so much hate coming from this guy. It is uh, bewildering for the longest time. And when you're watching the movie, you're like, what is this movie even about? Is this like the, you know, the come up of Rose? And or what is what is the end goal of this movie going to be? And it, like I said, in the non-spoiler section, you don't know until the very last few scenes where this movie is going. And basically this entire movie is filled just, you know, digging his grave. Um, like I said, it's spoilers at this point, so you should should have known. Um so one evening, George organizes a grand dinner party with his parents and the governor. George pressures Rose to give a performance on her new piano. However, Rose, rattled by Phil's earlier belittling of her skills, is unable to play at all. And the party ends, if you want to call that. Subsequently, Rose begins drinking alcohol regularly, even though she says she wasn't drinking at the beginning of the movie. And she's like, yeah, any this Phil guy is going to drive you to drink. Um, and so Rose sends Peter to med to medical school and Peter is, he's kind of weird. He's like killing rabbits and shit like that. And he's, um, you know, dissecting them, trying to figure out the internal organs and just, uh, to learn really. He's not quite a psychopath to our knowledge, but he's looking like he's, he's trying to learn. And so Rose sends Peter to medical school, but by the time he returns to the ranch for summer break, Rose has become an alcoholic. And it's like, is this movie about the descendants of Kirsten Dunst's character? And almost every time we come back, like it's kind of like slices of life of these four characters, mainly Phil and Kirsten Dunst for the longest time and him antagonizing her. But we're like, what the fuck is going on? And it just continues to add layers of questions and um you're like why does Kirsten Dunst not want uh want to hang out with Phil it's like is Phil gonna rape her is Phil gonna kill her is is Phil gonna do something terrible because there's just like looming aspect of like what's going to happen to Kirsten Dunst what's gonna happen to Phil something's gonna happen and so Phil and his men taunt Peter and he isolates himself in his room he brings home a rabbit he has caught, delighting Rose, but she later discovers that Peter has killed it and dissected it. It was a little bit shocking at first, but the more you learn about him wanting to be in medical school and kind of be like a doctor of some sorts, um, I think it makes a lot more sense. He's mostly doing it to learn and mostly not a psychopath, <laughs> um, I would say, at this point. In, uh, in a glade away from the mansion... Phil masturbates with a scarf belonging to his late mentor, 
Bronco Henry. And so we are hearing about Bronco Henry, Bronco Henry this, Bronco Henry that, best writer, best cowboy, best this. He was he Bronco Bronco Henry was the man. And you're thinking like the longest time, like who the fuck is Bronco Henry to fill and why should anybody even care? And I thought it it would have been a little bit more of a um better connection if it Bronco Henry was Cody Smith McPhee's father, but it it it's never that's never that that is not the case because we see um we see Peter at the graveside of his father making you know these origami flowers for him and stuff like that uh, you know out of paper and whatnot paper mache flowers of some sort um so this is the point where we find out you know Phil is kind of ridiculed for being a nasty cowboy in the eyes of uh the the Plemons and Jesse's Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunn's uh, parents and stuff like that. They're like, oh, Phil's all nasty and shit like that. And um, then we end up finding out where Phil's safe space is, and it's in this like little uh, uh, water spring or something like that, um, where he's. We see it for the first time. He jumps. The only time he really likes to bathe and get clean is in this kind of hideaway where he can kind of be himself and he cleans up there, um, jumps in the river. And then later he goes into like this, uh, uh, pasture of grass and stuff like that. And that's where he has kind of this hideaway. And that's where the scarf of Bronco Henry's at. And that's where you fully find out that, uh, Phil is, uh, gay or at least bisexual. I don't think we ever see him with a, a female or even, I don't remember him ever talking about a female, but um, he is uh, probably uh, gay and his late mentor, Bronco Henry, was probably his uh, his lover of some sort. And so that's a big, big flag. Not 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 in a bad way, but it's a big flag for the Oscars, Oscars love when honestly straight white men end up acting gay or not acting gay, but acting as a gay man, acting as a, a different gender, changing um, their appearance, maybe acting somewhat on the spectrum. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying if you look at, you know, Oscars over the years, like uh, Jared Leto, I think, got an Oscar for playing a trans woman. Um, and I believe Dustin Hoffman, in, way back when, got an Oscar for um, Rain Man, which he was playing kind of a character on the spectrum. So, and Daniel Day Lewis did, I think, with My Left Foot, I think, is the movie. I, I don't know anything about it, but I'm pretty sure he won awards for, uh, you know, the the acting in a wheelchair I believe he's in and so being par being being other I guess is really and not in a bad way I'm just saying you know not straight white male is always looked as uh, kind of Oscar Beatty a little bit and so um, just kind of wanted to bring that attention of why the Oscars probably like this as well. And they, the Oscars, I think, really like Jane Campion as well. I don't have her full resume in front of me, but uh, let me see if there's anything I can pull up on that real quick. Jane Campion. She's the first woman to be nominated twice for the Academy Award for Best Director. Okay, yeah. That was... Yeah. First female filmmaker to receive the Pol Palermo or to receive the Palermo Palermo for the piano 1993, which also won her the Academy Award for best original screenplay. Yeah, so the uh, she's already pretty close with the Academy given her previous nominations. So let's go back to the the plot. So yeah, that's where we find out basically Phil is um, gay, and so he masturbates to the scarf. Peter enters a biovac in, in the glade and finds a stash of Bronco Henry's homoerotic magazines depicting nude men. And 
that's where you're like, hmm, what's going on with this kid? Is the kid kind of questioning if he's um, possibly gay as well? And honestly, I was so scared that Peter was going to be found by by Phil immediately and just about, uh, you know, and kill him right there. I was like, because if you find out that if Phil let out that uh, McPhee was if McPhee let out the notion that Phil was gay, there could be some serious repercussions for Phil. And so Phil is like extra cautious about it. Um, you know, everyone, anyone that knows film knows all about a uh, Brokeback Mountain. And um, a lot of that movie is about two gay cowboys that can't be together. And so this is even before that. Um, let me see. Okay. So, and the biovac, I don't even, I, I never heard that word before, but it, it looked like a little like nook in a tree or something like that. It was kind of a really cool place to kind of have the um, Bronco Henry's stash be. You know, it was a nice little hidden hideaway. So he observes Phil bathing in a pond with the handkerchief around his neck. Phil notices him and chases him off. And I was like, holy shit, he's literally going to kill this kid. I was like, I was so scared of what was going to happen, the repercussions. And, and, and really, it only opens them up more. It opens, I feel like even though he's been terrible to Smith, uh, Peter, Phil has been terrible to him, it still makes them somewhat closer because, uh, you know, McPhee, uh, Peter, knows um, Phil's secret so that's where he realizes you know Phil realizes he has to make you know be cool with the kid now because the kid kind of has something on him out of the blue Phil chooses to make amends with Peter offering a, a plaint offering him to plat him a lasso from rawhide and to teach him to ride a horse and i was like oh wow this is going to be really sweet it's going to be like you know phil teaching the kid you know how to be a cowboy and i was uh, i had a little soft spot for that peter heads out of heads out on his own one day and finds a dead cow cutting off pieces of its hide while fix uh, pieces of its hide and this is an extremely important part of the film that correlates immediately to what happens at the end. And so, cutting off pieces of its hide. While fixing a fence, Phil gashes his hand and declines Peter to offer... Sorry, gashes his hand and declines Peter's offers to dress the wound. Afterward, Peter tells Phil about finding the body of his alcoholic father who had hanged himself and cutting the corpse down by himself. That's pretty intense. I don't remember. I actually, it's been a few months since I've seen the power of the dog. That's kind of intense. He mentions that his father feared he was too strong and not kind enough. And Phil scoffs. Um, so the gash on Phil's hand is very important as well. So, you know, the sick dead cow and Phil's hand are just a recipe for what this third act has for us. Rose's alcoholism worsens as Peter and Phil spend more time together. And it's like, what is going on? Is like Phil like going to influence this kid? Or not influence him, but kind of teach him the way of a cowboy and possibly not saying turn someone gay sounds derogatory, but but to teach him to be maybe effeminate in a smart way, because it did feel like the majority of the time Phil is, you know, teaching this kid all these different things, but it kind of starts and surrounds itself around masculinity and sexuality. And so, um, yeah. And you're like, why is Rose getting worse and worse as this is happening? You know, you'd think she'd be feeling better now that they're not arguing as much. Um, so, Upon learning about Phil's policy of burning the hides that he does not need for himself, um, Rose defiantly gives the hides 
to local Native American uh, traders who think, sorry, who thank her with a pair of soft calfskin gloves. After she passes out drunk, George tends to her, emptying a bottle of bourbon that he had found in her bedsheets. And like I said, her alcoholism is only getting worse at this point. She's hiding drinks from her husband and, uh, you know, starts suffering the consequences of drinking too much. Phil is furious over having his hides, having no hides to finish Peter's lasso. And he attempts to lash out at Rose before being stopped by George. Which is like, George, why haven't you been saying more shit this whole time? I know Jesse Plemons' character almost leaves for like 45 minutes of the movie and comes back somewhat at the end. Um, But my lord, gotta stand up. Peter pacifies Phil by offering him the hide that he had cut out. Sorry, that he had cut. Without mentioning that the animal was already deceased when he found it. Phil is touched by Peter's gesture and promises him that they will have a much better relationship in the future. The pair spend the night in the barn finishing the rope and you're like, what the fuck is going on in this barn? It is like the most intense scene of the movie. Every time they're in that barn, you're like, what the fuck is about to happen? It's like, is someone going to kill somebody? Is someone going to fuck somebody? Is someone going to, it's like, I don't remember how old Peter is at that time. I think he's at least 18. But, um, I was like, are they like, are they trying to like form some sort of, uh, relationship? Cause it's very sensual in in the way that, they're shooting everything. They're almost shooting it as if it's uh, a will-they-won't-they they kind of thing. But I'm like, this is like a, a teenager, late teenage kid. Um, I know Smith McPhee is like in his 20s, I think, in real life. But I, I was like, what, what is going on? It didn't feel good. I was like, nothing nothing about this is going to be in, in a good way. So I was like, there's no reason for them to be you know, hanging out at the barn after hours regardless. Because I was like, something's not not good. So, um, so yeah, the pair spend the night in the barn finishing the rope. Phil's open wound and the hide mixing together in the solution used to soften the hide. And you see his hand just to have it with the gash, and he's like putting it in the water, and it's just mixing it all together. Um, and they're sharing a cigarette. It's like, I'll tell you right now, I don't know too many straight men that share cigarettes from the other person's hand you know someone holding the cigarette and putting it in the other person's mouth it's like what in the hell is going on some sensual ass shit going on um so phil tells peter how bronco henry saved his life by lying body to body ass to ass you know it's like hmm you know code for they probably had you know some sex or something like that with him in a bedroll during freezing weather Phil does not answer when Peter asks if they were naked. When Phil does not show up for breakfast the following day, George finds him sickened in bed, his wound now severely infected. A delirious Phil who looks for Peter to give him the finished lasso, but George takes Phil to the doctor before he can hand the lasso over. George is later seen picking out a coffin for his brother while his body is prepared for burial. That is the scene everyone's going to say, What? What? Fucking Phil just dies off screen? You're like, what the hell? And everyone knows if you get sick before and and you're in a movie before like 1950-something, you're basically done. Um, so I remember seeing that and I was like, did I, did I fall asleep for five minutes? It it wasn't like I was tired or anything, but I, I literally felt like I looked down, looked back up, Phil's dead. I'm like, oh shit. But you find out later that that cow, the cow hide that was being used on the lasso for Peter, Phil just mixes his hand all up with that anthrax and fucks himself up. And this is going to be like the jump in the scene. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, 
No Country for Old Men, how that third act kind of plays out. Uh, a lot, a little bit off screen. Same thing here. Um, I think that got be- best picture as well. At the funeral, the doctor tells George that Phil most likely died of anthrax. And there's this kind of overlay throughout the movie about talking about diseased cows and stuff like that and making sure they're not diseased too much. Um, This puzzles George, as Phil was always careful to avoid diseased cattle. Peter, who skipped Phil's funeral, opens a book of common prayer to a passage on burial rites. And then reads Psalms 22. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. With carefully gloved hands, Peter stows his finished lasso under his bed. As Peter watches George and a now sober Rose return home and embrace. He turns away and smiles. And that, my friends, is 2021's The Power of the Dog. Let me know what you thought about the review. Let me know know what you thought about the movie. Let me know what you think about this extra kind of tailwind of what's going on with the Oscars, Gene Campion, and Sam Elliott. I want to talk a little bit about that real quick. Um, So Sam Elliott, let's go kind of like in the chronological order of what's going on. Sam Elliott is on a spinoff show of Yellowstone playing a cowboy like he normally does. And apparently he was on the Mark Maron um, podcast and and he said, what does this, I think he said, what does this woman from New Zealand know about cowboys, gay cowboys in Montana? It was a little bit homophobic in the way that it kind of came off. Um, very, uh, okay, so let me see. Let me do, do, do. let's see. I'll, I'll, I'll say what it is. Veteran actor, this is on IndieWire, veteran actor Elliot, Sam Elliott is back in the spotlight thanks to his popularity on uh, Paramount Plus's Yellowstone prequel 1883 in the show he plays former soldier, Civil War, uh, Civil War soldier Shea Brennan to promote his work on the new series as it leads, as likely heads into Emmy connection, uh, contention. Elliott recently appeared on Mark Maron's What the Fuck podcast for Typically, for a typically gloves-off conversation, and sees as Elliot is one of the Western genre's leading figures, he had harsh words to say about Jane Campion's Best Picture nominee, The Power of the Dog. You want to talk about that piece of shit Elliot started out? You didn't like that one, Marin asked? Question mark. Elliot says, fuck no. Why? I'll tell you why I didn't like it anyways, Elliot said. I looked at it when I was down there in Texas during 1883, and what really brought it home to me the other day when I said, do you want to fucking talk about it? Question mark. There was a fucking full-page ad out in the LA Times, and there was a review, not a review, but a clip, and it talked about the evisceration of the American myth. And I thought, what the fuck, what the fuck? This is the guy that's done Westerns forever. The evisceration of the American West, question mark? They made it look like, what are all those dancers that those guys in New York wear who wear bow ties and not much else? Remember them from back in the day? Marin pointed out as he was referring to Chippendales dancers. That's what all these fucking cowboys in that movie look like, Elliot said. They're all running around in chaps with no shirts. These, sorry, there's all these allusions to homosexuality throughout the fucking movie. 
I think that's what the movie is about, Marin said, of the, of the film, in which it's more heavily implied that Benedict Cumberbatch's rancher, Phil Burbank, is represented as a gay man. Sorry, Benedict Cumberbatch rancher, Phil Burbank, is a repressed gay man. Elliot went on to say that Campion, a native of New Zealand, was out of her element in tackling this particular genre. Elliot says, What the fuck does this woman, she's a brilliant director, by the way, I love her work, previous work, but what the fuck does this woman from down there, New Zealand, know about the American West? And why the fuck does she shoot this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana? And say, this is the way it was. That fucking rubbed me the wrong way, pal. Elliot said. The myth is that they were these macho men out there with the cattle. I just come from fucking Texas where I was hanging out with families. Not men, families. Big, long, extended, multiple generation families. He trailed off in the clip below. You can listen to the full episode on there on IndieWire. So, um, it seems that he tried to be a little bit more, more respectful in the way that he's trying to say it, but it is totally like, I think her response was, he is an actor, not a cowboy, which is one of the best reactions that I, or best replies I've seen happen on this type of, um, you know, pedestal. Uh, you know, Sam Elliott is not a cowboy. He doesn't represent a cowboy. He just plays cowboys on screen. And so I didn't quite understand me. This is me, Elias speaking. Um, I didn't quite understand why Sam Elliott was so against using other countries or using other places as a representation for the American West. If you look at such as like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that just came out on Netflix, like none of that is shot in Texas at all. Uh, As a matter of fact, most, I'd say most pieces of media are not shot where they say that the story takes place. How many times are things shot in Atlanta and they're called New York or they're called other places, you know, Uh, small town this, small town that. Um, so I didn't really understand his thinking. I was like, it's a fucking movie, man. You know, it's like, take it easy. (laughs) So I was not so keen on, um, the Sam Elliott of it all, but on top of that, uh, so I was kind of rooting for Jane Campion right there. And then she went to go receive an award. I think it was the spirit awards or something like that. Let me see. I, I don't have it on top of my head. Um, but Jane Campion went out and, and said uh, some kind of, what was that? Uh, sorry. So Jane Campion is accepting some sort of speech. She's accepting a, let me see. Da, da, da. Let me see. Okay. The Critics' Choice Awards. Okay, this was like two or three weeks ago. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago she says, uh, she's accepting an award for the Critics' Choice Awards or something like that. She's it says she's honored to be in the same room as the Serena sisters, and that's uh, sorry the 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 Williams sisters, Serena and uh, Venus Williams, which they were in uh, all being nominated for uh, King Richard, and so she's accepting. Let me see. So she's accepting the award of, I guess, what was it, Best Director in Picture for that. And she gets up there and starts talking about how she's been playing tennis and, you know, Will Smith can come teach her how to play anytime, work on her backhand anytime, which kind of sounded a little sexual the more I thought about it. But anyways, um, I was like, okay. So she's like starting off with kind of like a, a uh, compliment at the beginning of the speech and everybody's like okay okay and then in the right at the end she's talking to Venus and Serena which she's like she added that the pair do not play against the guys like I have to and 
She later says that it was a thoughtless comment equating to what I do in film, in the film world with all that Serena Williams and Venus Williams have achieved. And it was like the most random, bizarre comment. She was saying that you don't have to play against the men I have to. And it sounded so, so much like she was devaluing what the struggles of Venus and Serena Williams had to go through to to achieve that level of greatness. I did see King Richard, and I was I was blown away. If it was anything like that, I mean, they really had to work hard. Um, great movie, by the way. Um, as a matter of fact, King Richard was higher on my top ten list than Power of the Dog, mostly because of the the acting of Will Smith and uh, the supporting leads as well. The young women that were in there as well were were phenomenal. So it was a little bit of a damper, to say the least, kind of following up on the power of the dog when you wanted to champion everything about it, champion, campion, um, to the finish line. So I've got a mixed bag about them winning. A lot of people think that the power of the dog is going to sweep the awards tonight. Um, The awards start in about three hours for me as I'm recording this. So... Uh, we'll see how the power of the dog does. By the time you listen to this, you're probably going to have listened or know about the Oscars, who won, who didn't. Let me know if you think it's well-deserved, what you think about um, the review we just covered, and um, we got a little bit of controversy under there as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, about an 8 out of 10 for me on... Um, 8 out of 10 for me on on uh the the scale and i would i would recommend watching the power of the dog you know there's a lot of people involved in it it's not just jane campion running the show um and all the acting cody smith mcphee was the one that i wasn't able to kind of give a massive shout out to at the non-spoiler section but i gotta say this dude fucking killed it i mean dunce uh, Dunce and Cody Smith McPhee fucking kill it. I know that um, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to get a lot of accolades and a lot of uh, praise for what he's done, but you know those supporting characters are just as much there, and they they elevate this piece of media to what it deserves to be. And the way that the screenplay plays into Phil's death, it, I thought it was phenomenal. It made me want to go back and kind of rewatch it. But, you know, kind of covering it in this podcast forum, I hope, helps everybody as well kind of understand what exactly happened. So, yeah. Um, and that's crazy that it kind of starts with the sick, uh, sick cow at the beginning of the movie as well. And, uh, yeah, that's, that is the power of the dog. All right, everyone. Meowdy. Take it easy.